from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. You're also watching on Facebook Live, Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. So whether you're watching, watching or listening live, Everywhere in central and upstate New York, up and down the East Coast, the Midwest, the West Coast, and outside of the country. Thank you to everyone that we have here with us this morning and every morning, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. With that being said, we are at that point in today's first hour of the show where Bob Casulo is joining us. Bob Casulo, the former assistant coach for Syracuse football, as well as uh, he has worked professionally and collegiately with the wonderful world of sports and uh, especially with football the work that he has done, the coaches that he has been connected to, and just the overall history that he has had in the sport of football has has really brought a lot of uh, fantastic analysis here for us, as well as, you know, the world of sports in general. We've been able to bounce to different topics, and I always appreciate having Bob on the show. So he's down in Florida, just like Papa Joe is, so it's, it's nice to have this first hour where we feel a little bit of that warmth from uh, Papa Joe and Bob Casulo, as up here in central New York, it is snowing down in Florida. It's going to hit the 60s and the 70s today. So, Bob, how are we doing this morning in sunny Florida? Doing great. Really, uh, the wind's blowing pretty hard. It's a little cooler, but it's uh, great golf weather. So, uh, that's what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. So, for you, Bob, I mean, you've been down there for a bit. You've had some time to relax and take it all in. Uh, what are what are your favorite pieces of retirement? What are what are your favorite things that you get to do in retirement? Nothing. <laughs> I knew you were going to you know, say that. <laughs> my, my my wife says to me, she goes, "What are you going to do today?" I said, "Nothing." She said, "Well, I thought you did that yesterday." I said, "Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't finish." <laughs> nice. I love so that. That should, give, that should give you an idea. We you know we play golf. Yeah. We uh, you know we go to breakfast with some guys. We go to lunch with other guys. They would go to dinner, out to dinner once or twice a week. And tonight I'm going to the uh, Florida Panthers hockey game. They're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that should be a good game. But, you know, you, you find things to do to keep busy. For for you, Bob, is it is it tough sometimes to watch the game and be away from the game? Do you have those moments where... You know, you see something or, you know, maybe somebody's running something and they and they didn't run it right or there's a certain defense that you feel like doesn't really work anymore. Do you ever get that itch or that or that feeling when you're watching something that you want to get back out there and that and that they need to do it a little bit better? Do you ever have that itch? Absolutely. Let me tell you something. I locked myself in on Saturdays and Sundays to watch college and pro football. And some of the things I see are absolutely just mind-boggling, you know? And, and th- there's little wonder as to why a team is a good team and why teams are bad teams. Um, you you watch these and, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's sad. It really is. It's sad. And the game is, you know, I, it's a copycat game, unfortunately, and it tells me that people you, you, that don't have the wherewithal 
to, to be unique, you know, and, and it's just, it, it's sad. It really is. It's hard to watch because of the, I don't want to say the stupidity because that's, that's, that's the ugliness, I guess is the way to put it. You know, there, there's, there's people going for it on fourth and one when they should be punting people punting when they should be going on it at fourth and one, you know, offsides penalties, when it's third and two, I, you, there's just so many things. Lack of adjustments. I, my my whole thought process is the second half. Watch the second half, and then you know who the good teams are being coached correctly. Because the second half is where games are won and games are lost. So, you know, it's very frustrating to me to watch it. And, and you know, like you said, it frustrating for you to see it the second half or where games are won won and lost. A uh, copycat. I want to go to the copycat side of things. Hey, there's there's a defense that had worked in the past and, and had worked for I believe John Gruden the the Tampa two. We see that here now, and we see it with you know Syracuse had tried to run it and whatnot. Do you think there's a successful way in today's football to run the Tampa two, or is it just a defense that doesn't work? Because it really, it had a positive stigma, then it got a negative stigma. You're a guy who's who studied the X's and O's of it all. What do you, what does a Tampa two defense do in today's football world? It's it's worthless. It's worthless. Let me tell you, when Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, running the Tampa two defense, they had seven seven pro defensive players. And when the Miami Hurricanes won the national championship with Dennis Erickson, they won it running a Tampa 2 defense then. It wasn't called Tampa 2, but that's what it was with Ray Lewis as the middle linebacker. They won the national championship. They had, I think, five first or second team defensive All-American players. So it's, it's the personnel. In today's game... I don't see the Tampa. Two. First of all, you got to have a front four that's going to pressure the quarterback every single play. When the Tampa Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, three of their front four went to the pro were, were, were voted into the Pro Bowl that year. So you don't have to blitz. In today's game, especially in college, there's very few teams that can pressure you with a front four. The only one that I really saw this year do it won the national championship, LSU. If you don't have that front four, then you got to blitz. Yeah. you got to blitz. You know, when I worked with Scott Schaefer at the end of my career, his blitz packages were phenomenal because, and his philosophy is, we're going to get you or you're going to get us. Hopefully we get you more times than they get us. If you stick in a Tampa 2 defense and you got just guys – just players, and I don't care what the score is. It could be Syracuse, it could be Pittsburgh, India, I don't care who it is. If you got just guys playing defense and you're sitting in a Tampa two, you're done. You got no chance. None. And you know, it's it's I, I, I think it's run its course, um unless you have the talent. That's just my personal opinion. That coming here from Bob Casulo this morning, former Syracuse assistant coach and a, a former coach inside of the ranks of the NFL as well as college football in, in general. For for that, and like you said, with it with the Tampa two, it just doesn't work unless you have the personnel 
up front to to see what Syracuse went through recently here. Uh, they just fired their defensive coordinator midseason, Brian Ward. He was giving up 38.58 points per game his first season at Syracuse, 32.12 in his second season, gave up 54 points a game over a three-game span, gave up over 70 points to a Pittsburgh team a few years back. Uh, how do you... How do you assess that situation? And with a Dino Babers offense that's about speed and running a lot of plays and just, you know, getting out there and just rapidly firing, that puts your defense on the field for more time more often than not. What do you think about the current situation in Syracuse? They're trying to shift their defense, but, you know, a team that was giving up 30 to 40 points a game and relying on outscoring you and just being faster than you, how have you kind of watched and and, uh, and maybe what's your analysis of, of that style and the fact that obviously the defense was, was a Tampa 2 and it was a read-and-react defense and it was relying on, on the offense scoring 40 points a game? Well, it goes back to what I said. And, you know, I, I don't want to get involved with coaches firing other coaches or coaches getting fired. Um, I've, I've been that route, and it's not a very nice place to be. Right. But um, I, I would say this. I, I don't really know Coach Babers. He seems like a real good man. He seems like a very gifted offensive coach. I, I, I got to believe that he made very strong suggestions to the then defensive coordinator. Look, you got to fix this. You got to make adjustments. You got to do it. You, you, you got to find out what we need to do to not give up 30 plus points a game because we're not always going to score 35, you know? And. I don't know. I can't speak for you. You'd have to talk to him. But I, 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 my guess is that he wasn't satisfied with going from 35 to 31 points per game. That's just my guess. Um, but you, you have got to get in there. If, if, if I'm at Syracuse now, knowing that they can score points, hopefully they get back to that scoring points mode. And then you get a defense that can disrupt and stop the opponent. You, you, they're going to be okay. They're, they really are. They're, they're, look, Syracuse is there's 131 Division One football teams. I'll give you 10 teams that are constantly better than everybody else. That means there's 121 teams in Division One college football that are going to go. Okay, they're going to go six and six. Okay, yeah. they're going to go eight and four, or they're going to go four and eight. And what's the difference between four and eight and eight and four? It's probably penalties. It's probably lack of a kicking game. It's probably not being able to stop your opponents. It's probably not being able to score. It's got to be one or two of those things. Now, you look at Syracuse from what I see, and we don't get them that much down here, but I, when I get a chance, I watch them. I think their offense is capable of scoring points. They shore up that offensive line, and they're going to be much, much better. Their special teams are doing fine. Their problem is what you just said. They don't get off the field. They don't stop their opponents enough. So if he can plug that leak and fix that, you know, they were 10-3 and three two years ago. I think this year they were 5-7. and seven. They start getting into that 8-4 and four consistent mode. Then you've got yourself a good football program. And, and, and I think he's, you know, I, again, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I think he realizes, look, I fixed this. We're going to be okay. That's just my opinion. 
speaking here this morning with Bob Casulo, former Syracuse assistant coach and, and also in the uh, world of the NFL and, and around the college football world with everything that Bob has done over his time. And Bob, I got to ask you as a coach, what was your most frustrating penalty? You know, they talk about, they, they talk about self-inflicted wounds are the worst ones as a coach. What was the one penalty that just irks you more than anything else when your team committed it? Well, when I worked for the Seattle Seahawks, Mike Holmgren said one thing to me. He said, there's one fireable offense for a special teams coach. And I said, what's that? And he said, 12 men on the field. Yeah. He said, I can't tolerate that. He said, I pay you good money. He said, you got to be able to count to 11. I can't tell you, Dan, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times in college football and the NFL teams are caught with 12 men on the field. Yeah. Okay. I also, if you add 10 men on the field, that doubles the the, uh, the lack of whatever, you know? And, and, and I find myself watching these games over the weekend counting players. <laughs> it's an old habit, yeah. you know? But I, I think the two... The two most disastrous penalties are too many men on the field, okay, or jumping off sides or false start, offensive false start or defensive jump off sides when it's less than five yards for a first down. To me, those are the two most, oh, my God, god-awful penalties you can have. Yeah, you know, and obviously, and frustrating, like you said, self-inflicted wounds, especially when you're trying to count how many players are going out on the field and that type of mistake. When you're watching the game, what are you most closely paying attention to? You know, now that now that you're you know you're not on the sidelines, you're retired, and and you're still taking these games in. What are besides counting how many men are out there? Like you said, that you still tend to do. What are you looking for the most when you're watching a football game? One thing I look for the most is adjustments as the game progresses, both offensively and defensively. You know, it's it's the old saying. If you continue to do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. You know, and, and a guy smarter than all of us once said, if you can do, you know, it's, it's, what is stupidity is doing the same things and expecting different results. You know, and so to me, when I watch these games – I want to see what the offense is doing to adjust if the defense is holding them. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. If you saw the first half Kansas City Chiefs, you'd say they got no chance. <laughs> you saw the second half Kansas City Chiefs? My God, what did they do? Yeah, Their adjustments were phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal between the first half and the second half. To me, that, that, that's what you're And it's the same thing when you watch like the New England Patriots. Defensively, people may move the ball on them a little bit in the first half. People may score a little bit on them in the first half. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, New England scores two touchdowns, kicks a field goal, and wins the game by 17 points. Defense pitches a shutout. It's adjustments. That's what I look for. To me, that's what coaching is all about. How, what, you know, you, you, you got to adjust, okay, and you got to advance. That's what you got to do. And, and I, I don't um, – too many teams, they go out there and they do the same thing over and over again. And it's just like, oh, my God. Throughout the course of the game, you've got to adjust, you know, and, and, and you have to run the ball. I, I go back and you have to stop the run. The game's not that hard to figure out. 
It's just hard to execute. That coming here this morning from Bob Casulo, and I and I love that statement. The game's not that hard to figure out; it's just hard to execute. And and with that being said, in your opinion, Bob, who are you know if you had to pick five uh, of the NFL's coaches, who are the five best coaches in your opinion currently right now in making adjustments and and being able to? I mean, I, I know you you kind of mentioned one right now when you're talking about Andy Reid in Kansas City, but who are the best coaches currently in their ability to make adjustments and look like a different team in the second part of a game if they're down and they've made mistakes to come out of that locker room and change it up? Who are the five best coaches at doing that? Well, Bill Belichick by far and away is number one. Andy Reid is number two, okay? Uh, Sean Payton in New Orleans has become a much better coach since he's become more vocal on the defensive side of the ball, and I think that's what's made his team better. Okay, those three. I got to throw in Tom Coughlin. Even though he's not coaching anymore, Tom Coughlin, to me, was right up there with Bill Belichick for making adjustments as the game is progressing. You know what I mean? Bill Cowher was one of those guys, too. As the game progressed, you know, they, they made adjustments. Other than that, you know, right now, it's, it's a crapshoot. Uh, it's a crapshoot because what happens is, Dan, and you watch the NFL, some teams are very, very good on offense because of their head coach, and other teams are very, very good on defense because of their head coach. But until Bill Belichick became a complete head coach, when he gave up the defensive play calling and became the head coach of the New England Patriots, I don't think they've lost. You know what I'm saying? They were good to begin with. Now they're untouchable. I think Andy Reid, what what he did was he got rid of his defensive coordinator, Bob Sutton, who I worked with, who's a wonderful guy, and he brought in Steve Spagnuolo, who I know also. He made that change, and they won it all. You have to be able to adjust. You know, you you have to be able to make these moves as difficult as it. And I think another guy that does a great job is John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens. He does a great job also. You know, and, and, and he, I used to coach against him when he was a special teams coach. And let me tell you something, you had your hands full because he always had something up his sleeve in the fourth quarter that was different than what he was doing the previous three quarters. And that's how he coaches his football team. So I, I would say those guys, and I'm, I'm, I may be forgetting someone, and but I don't think so. I think those are pretty much the guys that get it done. That coming here this morning from Bob Casulo, former Syracuse football assistant coach, as well as a, a former assistant throughout the world of college football, as well as the NFL. Uh, Bob, to take a look at the XFL's game, they've come into existence the second iteration of the XFL, and it's you know obviously headed up by Vince McMahon, as, as well as uh, Andrew Luck's father, which is kind of an interesting piece and kind of cool to all this. But we look at you know where things are at for the XFL right now. Bunch of different rules. The, the the rules on special teams are different. You have to be set together until that player receives the ball. Then you can move. 
there's no more extra points. There are, you know, you can go for it from the two and get one. You can go for it from the five-yard line and get two points, or you can go from the 10-yard line and get three points. So at any given time, you could get nine points on a scoring drive is the highest you can go. So we've seen some of those changes. There's a shorter, there's a shorter play clock and, and obviously a shorter halftime. They're trying to speed up the game a bit and they went to college rules when it comes to catching the ball. What do you like or dislike about the rules that are different between the XFL and the NFL? Well, I like the one foot in rule. I like that because to me, one foot in, you're, you're, you're in play. You don't need the second foot. The NFL's never going to change that. But you ask me which rules I like, that one I like. Anything that involves tinkering with the special teams, I don't like. I think they're, what they're trying to do is they don't want to take special teams out of the game, but they want to modify it to satisfy, you know, injuries and all that other whatever people are throwing in. But I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, that kickoff stuff is basically a punt return is what it is. If you watch it, what are they, 10 yards apart, 5 yards apart? It's basically a punt return when the guy catches the ball that everybody releases, and it's it's one-on-one blocking. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think the XFL is a fun league. I think it serves a purpose. It's, satis- it's satisfying fans fix for football. I don't think it has anything to do with getting players elevated to um, the NFL. I, I, I would say... There may be a handful of players that that's going to afford an opportunity to, but you you play a 10-game XFL schedule, then think you're going to go to a a, a preseason camp in the NFL, and if you make the team, then you got to play 18 games with with preseason. It ain't happening. Nobody's body can do that. So take the thought process that it's a farm team league. That is not the purpose. I think it's a fun league. I think it's a great opportunity for guys to play, to keep themselves playing the game they love. Um, I, I, you know, and the rules are funky, but you know what? If that's what they want to do, then let them do it. I think with, with Vince, Vince McMahon's money, and if they keep, they got quality coaches now. I'll tell you this: they they got some darn good football coaches, not only as head coaches but as position coaches. That league is loaded with ex-NFL and Division One college coaches that know what the hell they're doing. So the quality of the game each week is going to get better and better and better. And if they can ever come back for a second and third year, I think that this thing's got a chance to survive. When you watch it, Bob, you know, are you are are what do you think of the talent that we're seeing? You know, you talk about the coaches, and I agree with you. There's some. There's some names there, not just head coaches, but overall that, you know, people can get excited about and have fun with. I'm excited for the fact that when I came in and started covering the American Athletic Conference, you know, Houston had June Jones. And so to see June Jones back, you know, a name like that really sticks out to me and it gets me excited about it. And when you hear the Stoops family is involved and whatnot. So for, for you, though, to look at the player side of things, what can you say, you know, we're a few weeks into the XFL, the quality of the player that's out there. What are you seeing from from that aspect of it? 
And, and, you know, is there a lot of, you know, are there a lot of talented players or do you think that, you know, maybe the well's a little bit drier and some teams got a bunch of them and some other teams don't have enough? Well, I think, yeah, that's one of the issues. Uh, There's, there's one team in particular, maybe a second one that you can see are definitely outclassed talent wise. And I, I don't know how they distributed the talent. But, but, you know, Tampa Bay and Seattle are struggling as far as talent goes. I think the overall talent level of the league is, is, is you know, I don't think, I, let me put it this way. The best team to win the XFL this year was to play the worst team from last year's NFL, okay? Yeah. I, I don't think they could win. I don't think they could win. I think they could compete, definitely could compete. But I don't think they can win. I, I, I just think it's an opportunity for, what, eight times 50, for four or 500 football players to continue their careers, maybe get a chance at the big dance. But if not, play a good quality level of football, okay? Get a, get a, a decent paycheck and, and enjoy yourself. And I, and I really think that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, hopefully as they keep progressing week to week, the, the, the um, performances keep the execution, the players, the strategies keep improving, and, and you're going to have a pretty decent product by the end of the season. You know, some people talk about being footballed out, and obviously we're stepping into March Madness. Do you think that that, that does anything to, you know, the, the XFL? Is there that – do you think there's a real notion of being too much football – because fans seem to clamor for it, they seem to desire it. We're we're seeing, you know, fans show up in in the thirty thousands, the twenty thousands. We're seeing the two million and the three million viewers on television. So it doesn't look to be that way. But I mean, what's your overall sense of when the season is, and and you know the fact that it's going to carry us all the way throughout March Madness, and when March Madness ends at the beginning of April, we'll still have three more weeks of the XFL before all said and done this year on April 26th. So what do you think about the scheduling of it all and, and what they're up against? Well, you know, there is no good time of the year. Uh, it, it can't be a summer league because they still have that notion that there's some players that are going to get picked up by NFL teams. So if you overlap with the NFL preseason, you can take that out of the equation. Okay. If it, I think if they're looking for expansion, which I think they are, if they're looking for expansion, you've got to, you know, to start in February, you're, you're treading on thin ice in New York City and in Philadelphia. Um, you're probably not going to get it done in Pittsburgh. You're probably not going to get it done in, well, you, you could in Detroit and Minnesota if they're allowed to play indoors. Yeah. But if you don't have indoor state, New England is out. There's nobody there. So you're, you're, geographically, if you're going to expand, you're talking about expanding into southern, southwestern, western areas, you know, and and so it's going to be basically dividing the country in half horizontally rather than vertically. And, and does the Northeast people like it? You know what I mean? But it's difficult to have a team in Philadelphia playing on February 28th. You don't know what the hell. Like, they're getting blasted today up the coast. So if you had a game this weekend, you'd be in trouble, you know? But I, I, 
I think there's all kinds of good things that can happen, and it all depends upon how much money Vince McMahon is willing to lose, because I don't think he's ever going to make money. But, you know, if he ever breaks even, you're going to have a hell of a product. That coming here from Bob Casulo this morning. Bob, really quick before I let you go here, just a, a few other points, uh, one of them being St. Louis. They lost the, the Rams just a few seasons ago. I was down in the city uh, shortly after that happened, actually for the NCAA tournament for March Madness. And when when I went down there, it was just this very kind of eerie, strange feeling. There was still a bunch of banners up. It still said home of the Rams, and yet the Rams were gone and, and they were on a plane to Los Angeles. What do you think about, you know, not, not only St. Louis, but other cities that lost NFL franchises, like in Oakland now, you know, potentially getting an XFL franchise because it seems like the city of St. Louis has really taken to this team because they now have another chance of having professional football again. Well, I think they have two, two the cities. To, if, if you remember the old uh, XFL or whatever it was called, the Oakland, what were they, the Destroyers or something? The Oakland, they were something. And I know a guy that coached for them, and they had, they had 25, 30,000 people to a game. Yeah. They, they, they were very well received. So you've already mentioned two, you know, Oakland and, and, and uh, St. Louis, that would, would be pretty darn good in getting uh, an XFL expansion team. Um, San Antonio might be one because they have that indoor beautiful stadium, you know. So you can expand. What are they now, eight teams? Yeah, they have, I think, they have eight. I, I think you could very easily get the 12 without any problem at all. Get the 12 teams, maybe throw one in New Orleans. You know, how about Memphis, Tennessee or something like that? Well, and that and that's the thing too is you know that there are some of these cities like the Orlando's too that you know tried in the AAF and and tried to have an opportunity there. Orlando seems to be a hotbed to try anything and get it off the ground. So I mean, if we just did that, like you said, go from eight to twelve. If we went to Memphis, Orlando, Oakland. And, you know, we, we pick uh, one other place. Uh, I, I know you had mentioned, I know some people had brought up San Antonio, but uh, there is a viable one in, in Alabama. They're looking at Alabama right now. So, you know, to, if you have a team in Alabama, you got a team in Memphis, Tennessee, you got in Orlando and you got in Oakland. Now you've already expanded it. You've kept it in good areas as far as weather-wise go, and you can move it forward. But, the, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of viable places that, that can almost immediately make a decision on this. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, when they get through this first season and, and they evaluate where they are and where they want to be, and because let me tell you something, there's enough players out there. It's just a matter of getting them together. And, and what they have to do is make the old Pete Rozelle philosophy of the NFL make everybody equal. If you make everybody equal, then it becomes fun because everybody's got a chance. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think that down the road, it, it really does have a chance. Now you go from the week after the Super Bowl, let's say you go February 15th, you go to May 1st. That's perfect. You can't ask for anything better than that, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think you'd have something. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the XFL is definitely rules-wise onto something. Talent-wise gives people an opportunity 
and helps more players to have jobs outside of this, more coaches to have jobs. And then obviously people forget about this, but the groundskeepers and the stadiums and the cities to continue to bring money in and all the local businesses in the area, the restaurants, the hotels, it, it helps everybody if this thing works. I do want to. I do want to get to uh, Mr. Rocco Casulo, and uh, was over at St. Thomas Aquinas for a while, and has now decided to take on a, a new coaching opportunity in Cypress Bay. What are your thoughts? What's your take? I mean, this this just came out recently here that we got this uh, we got this notice here on February 22nd. So, what's going through your mind? Well, obviously, my wife and I are very proud. Yeah. Um, you know, he he took three years away from it, he had some personal issues, um, and, he, and he, he, he was really waiting for the right opportunity. He, he had offers in the last three years, but he really wanted to sit back. He's taking care of his kids. He's got himself positioned now, and he's, he, I give him credit. He was very patient, very patient. This is the largest high school in Broward County. Um, it was coached by a great guy who retired several years ago, Mark Wandola. Great guy, won state championships. It's an 8A high school, you know, 4,500 students. They, they're 10 and 10 the last two years. And for this school, that's not good enough. So they went out and they, uh, they, they worked with Rock. And it, it was a month-long process. And they finally got it done. And he... Me, my wife, we couldn't be happier. I think it's a great opportunity. He's in the process now. He's already started working, teaching. He's already started putting together a staff because they got spring football starting May 1st, and they're going to hit the ground running. And, um, you know, I expect not only me, but, I mean, the, the, the school expects good things. And uh, I'm a proud father, but I'm also a prejudiced father. They hired the right guy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> And, and for you, Bob, to, to see your son be a part of this. I mean, you know this world. You've you've lived in this world and been around this world for such a long time that, you know, what what was your take way back when when your son decided, this is what I want to do too, Dad. You know, I, I want to live in this world. I want to be in this. I want to pave my own way. I want to, you know, show what I can be as a coach. What, did, what does that do for you? Let me say this to you. I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of my son Jamie up there. Casulo is the assistant football coach for West Tennessee, you know, for Coach Joe out there. And Jamie was the head coach at West Hill High School after he worked five years as the running back coach at Albany State University. So I got two sons that uh, I never forced to get into this profession, but it's, it's very obvious that they were paying attention as I was going through the ranks. And again, I'm a proud father and I'm a prejudiced father. And both Jamie and Rocco do a phenomenal job. I mean, West Tennessee has been doing very well competitively the last three, two or three years. And they're going to do well this year. And of course, now Rocco's got this job. And, you know, I'm just, I'm very, even though I never pushed them into these profession, this profession, yeah. I'm proud as hell that they're in it. And I also am aware, like I said, they were obviously paying attention. <laughs> you know, they, they were, they were, I'm sure they were calling plays in their heads. They were calling defenses in their heads. And, uh, you know, although they, they very rarely, if ever said, Dad, what happened? Or why'd you do this? Or why didn't you do that? They very rarely said that. I can now tell that in their minds, they were forming their own 
uh, uh, programs, their own philosophies and their own thought processes. And, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, West Jenny and Rocco now at uh, Cypress Bay, those schools got two good football coaches. And that's, like I said, I'm speaking as a proud dad and a prejudice, but I can recognize coaching. I can tell you that. And for you, I mean, do do you do you sense that they have their own style? They have their they've paved their own way. Do you get a sense for that? Because oh, yeah, I'll tell you, Dan. Every once in a while, I'll say, you know, we always talk. Obviously, both of us, you know, both kids and me. And uh, every once in a while, they say, Dad, you can't do that now. I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> and they go, you know, I go, Okay, you know, it, it, it worked for the it worked for the Oakland Raiders, but apparently, we can't do that now. from Bob Casulo this morning. Uh, Bob, uh, we were going to get into some March Madness, but we got time for that, and we will definitely get into that because I'll have you back on the show soon. I, I don't know a better way to conclude than to give a shout-out to to both of your sons and the work that they're doing in the state of Florida and the state of New York. So I, I'm, I'm happy for you to be a proud dad and your wife to be a proud mom, and, and I look forward to the opportunity uh, very, very soon here to have you back on the show. But as always, Bob, thank you for your time and, and for being so candid and, and open and, and, and honest with everything that you have that you throw on to the show and it really does mean a lot and it goes a long way so I appreciate you I have a lot of respect for you so thank you for that thanks Dan I always enjoy listening and being on alright I'll talk with you soon okay buddy alright take care